Welcome to the Pastor's Cut. This week we are joined by our co-host and associate pastor at Near North, Trevor Lovell. And since we are talking with Trevor, we have Maddie Harrington back as my co-host. And this week we get to talk to him about Romans 8, 12 through 17, and we will be talking about our inheritance, adoption, and getting run over by golf cards. Great, let's get started. I'm Hillary Murphy. And I'm Maddie Harrington. And this is the Pastor's Cut with Trevor Lovell. Hey, Trevor, thanks for joining us. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, even for though sure. I'm, even though I'm here every week. Yeah, always, but, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Definitely new. Uh, great. So to start us off, can you share with us the first childhood story or memory that comes to mind at this moment? Oh, man. Yeah, the, the first memory that always comes to mind for me for childhood is uh, that we had a really big yard growing up. And we had golf carts that we would drive around the yard. And one day when uh, me and my brother got home after school, he was about a year and a half older than me. He is. And uh, I was driving the golf cart around the yard. He was riding on the back where the clubs are supposed to go. Mm. And uh, then he kind of fell off because I was doing donuts. <laughs> he kind of fell <laughs> he, off he fell, in air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he fell off. And I was still doing donuts as he fell off. And for some reason, when he hit the ground, he didn't get up. He just kind of laid there. (laughs) And so as I was doing the donut, I kept coming around the circle. And then all of a sudden, I saw him on the ground right in front of me. And I I lifted my foot off the gas and I slammed it down on the brake or I tried to, (laughs) but I missed. And so then I just kind of went right over him. And then I hit the brake the second time. Uh, and so I stopped it on top of him. Wow. And uh, I, I jumped out and I tried to lift it. Uh, I was like, I need to save my brother. I need to lift this thing. And I was, I mean, I was like 10. There, it didn't budge at all. <laughs> but then he popped out and was like, go get, go get dad. So I, I did. And uh, yeah, he turned out okay. He's fine. So, he didn't break anything. No, he had to get um, he had to get stitches. Okay. So yeah, my my dad was. I was like, Dad, you got to come here. You got to come. And he's like, Well, what is it? And I was like, No, you you just need to come. And he's like, Well, what is it? And I was like, I ran Dustin over with the golf cart. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he he came really quickly after that. So that is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so Trevor, it's so fun to see you on this side of the table. Normally, you're next to me co-hosting. But this week, you got to preach at Near North and Lincoln Park on Romans 8, 12 through 17. Can you give us a recap of your sermon? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so kind of the, the main idea in the passage was this, um, the, the theme of adoption. And so the, the big idea for the sermon was adoption changes lives uh, and adoption can change generations. And so there was kind of this double, uh, like double thrust with it where the, it was first getting at this idea of how our adoption into, into Christ, into the family of God affects us. And uh, how a lot of times it meets us in our places of pain, because um, the, the father wound is kind of a familiar concept for a lot of us. And uh, how adoption, in our adoption into the family of God, uh, God really meets us in those places of pain in a, in a unique way. So that was kind of the first, um, the first thrust. And then the second one was kind of uh, pivoting off of that, which was more so asking the question, how does our adoption into the family of God, how should that compel us to engage with the world around us? How should that uh, compel us to um, to live differently? And so, um, kind of drew on this example from earlier in the church w- during the Roman Empire when followers of Christ would um, basically rescue these kids who were left outside of the city walls and adopt them. And uh, how throughout the history of the church, the followers of Christ have been compelled by the gospel, and I think by this specific piece of the gospel, to to really care for for families and for children in particular who have found themselves in vulnerable places. And so. 
uh, was just kind of moving in that direction of how the gospel should compel us to engage in that same way. Yeah, mm, that's great. Mm-hmm. And with adoption and father wounds being such a big picture here, how would you encourage those of us who have not directly been a part of or affected by either adoption or father wounds, how would you encourage us to still find this example to be um, so personal and such a beautiful picture? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, I think I think the way that I would try and answer that would be um, that the, the way I talked about it in the sermon was that uh, for those who've had kind of a, a were left wanting something from their fathers, were left uh, kind of longing for something, uh, whether it was a, like affection or attention or approval, something like that, um, but kind of have this sense of absence uh, that their father was supposed to fill but never did, that basically everything you ever wanted in your father, you now have in God, that that's what this truth of adoption means. And so it's kind of like all of that, that sense of pain and that loss that God meets you in that place now. And so a person coming from a different situation, I think the way I would put it would be, uh, like, think of the kind of the sweet memories that you do have with your dad. Like, I, I'm pretty sure you, you and your dad ran a marathon together recently, right? We did. Best day of my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that, that right there, like that type of relationship that your dad yeah. would do something like that with you, um, well, I think what this truth of the gospel means is that God wants to have that same type of relationship with you and those same kinds of memories and to engage with you in that Mm -hmm. same way. Um, Yeah. And so I would say that, you know, all the ways that your dad was there for you and that were really great, uh, Mm -hmm. God wants to be there for you in the same way. Thanks. Yeah. That's good. That's awesome. So Trevor, what got cut from your sermon this weekend? Uh, Good question. Classic question. (laughs) Classic question. Um, the, the first piece was um, this idea of, in, in the language of adoption that Paul is using here, he, he talks specifically about sons. I think in, in verse 14, he says, uh, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And then later on in the passage, he expands it to uh, children to include sons and daughters. But earlier on, when he's talking about everyone, like men and women who are followers of Christ, he uses that language of sons specifically. And could ask, like, why, why does he do that? Why doesn't he use broader language? And I think it's because he's beginning to surface this idea of inheritance that he's gonna, he brings up in 17. And then in this next section in chapter eight, he really expands on it a whole lot more. And so I think he uses that word sons, calling us all sons, um, even though we're sons and daughters of God, mm-hmm. to get at this idea that we all receive an inheritance in Christ. Because in that particular culture and time period, sons were the only ones who received an inheritance. And so he's saying that in the gospel, it's not like that. Whether you're um, a son or a daughter of God, we all receive this inheritance in Christ. And that's one of the, uh, one of the beautiful things we get in the gospel. Um, so that I didn't, didn't get a chance to go into a whole lot because um, it was like, I, I, can't, I can't talk about that without bringing up inheritance. And that's really more so the next <laughs> section. So I'm just going to, I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. What else got cut? Yeah, so the the next thing would be um, this idea of, well, with the family of God, that when we're adopted into the family of God, uh, that it's not just an individualistic thing, but we're adopted along with every other follower of Christ. We're all brought into the same family. And so we have brothers and sisters in the family of God. And what's interesting with Paul bringing this idea up within Romans specifically is that he's writing to the church in Rome, which is going through this division along these lines of, of kind of two different groups of those who are Jewish and those who are Gentile, that um, 
the uh, kind of the situation was that the Jewish uh, people altogether were kicked out of Rome for about five years and then came back in. Uh, and the Gentile church had kind of gone along without them. And now they were back in <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was like things weren't, they weren't getting along well. And so Paul's writing into the midst of this division. And I think that's why he brings up this specific truth of adoption to say, hey, you know, your, your brothers and sisters, uh, your, your family. And I think uh, kind of an interesting extension of that for us today is this idea that, um, that in the body of Christ, we are brothers and sisters with people who are a lot of times very different from us, grew up in uh, different types of families, racially are different, uh, socioeconomically are different. And yet uh, in, in the family of God, we're brothers and sisters. And uh, there's this uh, philosophical word, ontologically, I don't know how to explain it a whole lot better, which, <laughs> but basically the idea is that ontologically speaking, we are more closely related with our brothers and sisters in Christ, even when they grew up so different from us uh, and are different in, in other ways that we would kind of maybe categorize people. We're more closely related to them uh, ontologically than we are even with our own flesh and blood, our own family members, if they're not followers of Christ. That's the kind of union that we have, um, kind of relationship we're brought into in the family of God as a result of our adoption. I think that's just a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's a great reminder. And even just seeing how that plays out and seeing community in the church and even just observing it from afar mm-hmm. and being in a small group and just how different the backgrounds are, but just how deep those friendships are. And mm-hmm. I've often wondered, I mean, moving to the city, it's such a transient city yeah. and just how do you find friends if you don't go to church? I don't know, but it's, it's a beautiful reminder that, that we all have that commonality yeah. and that, that sense of belonging here. That makes me think of the relationship that I have with my best friend. Um, we honestly bonded over the fact that we were both believers, but truly could not be more polar opposite, like on every <laughs> spectrum. Um, but I think that that is kind of a, a roadblock for a lot of believers. And I don't know if that's maybe a generational thing. Um, but when it comes to building those friendships, I think sometimes culturally we have this expectation in this set of list of here's all of the types of people that I'm friends with. This is the people I get along with. So how would you encourage this kind of culture of Christianity to kind of push past those set expectations, maybe even um, perceptions of people to build deep, meaningful friendships with believers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, I remember one of our pastors a few years ago preaching on this idea. Um, and one of the questions, or one of the things that he said was that his prayer at that time in his life was, God, would you bring me friends who don't look like me? Mm-hmm. Um, and so just having an intentionality around developing friendships with people who were uh, who are different, who are believers, but, um, you know, grew up different, looked different, um, lived life differently. And that that's one of the beautiful things that we have in the gospel is the ability to, to do that and to have that, uh, those close friendships in that way. Um, but yeah, sometimes it is something we don't always take advantage of. And yeah. so, yeah, like the small group that you're a part of, the people you invite to your small group, um, who you, just who you're intentional about developing friendships with. It's mm-hmm. easy. I think it is really easy for us to find ourselves in a friend group where everyone does look like us. Mm. Um, and just, you know, we're in a city uh, that isn't that way. We're in a city that is very diverse. And so uh, just being intentional about the relationships mm. that we develop, um, especially within church. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess, especially all throughout life, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For yeah. Sure. W- what do you, what do you both think? I think sometimes the lie that our culture tells us is that friendships are instant and connections are quick. And I don't think that that's necessarily true when it comes to believers. I think 
um, friendships and relationships um, require time and commitment. Um, And so I think that as believers, we are called to be committed to each other and to love each other well in that. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think you, I think you nailed it when you hit on all of those points. One thing I feel too is just the deeper connection you have with believers and something that I've found to really impact relationships is just the power of prayer and communal prayer. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that in small groups and I'm on the global team here too. So to be able to have people that you're intentionally praying for, for your own prayer requests, for the world around you, for the church, I just feel like that's a really powerful way to to impact the relationships that you find, especially here in the church. Yeah. Trevor, what else got cut from your sermon this weekend? Yeah, there's just just one other thing, and it, it didn't necessarily get cut, but it's just kind of um, maybe theologically, it's like a, a bit of a hobby horse for me, and there's a loose connection to this. Mm. Um, but there's this, um, so we're all adopted into the family of God, right? People um, from kind of wherever you you become a follower in Jesus, and you're adopted into the family of God. And one of the things you see throughout the Bible is this narrative of God bringing people to Him from every uh, tongue, tribe, and nation. You see that the that even the the promise made to Abraham is that through you, you I'll, be, I'll bless all nations, um, every people group. And then you see that picture in Revelation seven of people gathered around the throne of God, uh, worshiping from every tongue, tribe, and language. And so you see that the way that that's coming about is through the gospel, we are being adopted into the family of God from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And one of the things that I I find a fascinating question is there are certain cultures where um, kind of through different historical events, their cultures and their languages have kind of been stamped out. Um, but, but some of them are in this position where it's almost like you could characterize them as being on life support in a sense, mm-hmm. or I know like certain, certain Native American languages are, where within the tribe, there's only a few people left who speak the languages. And even now there's these revitalization efforts happening to kind of bring these languages back into, back into being, back into use. Um, and so it just makes me wonder that if a church was engaged in ministry on a reservation or within a people group like that, even doesn't even have to be here in the States, just somewhere else in the world, there's just the, the intentionality of, uh, like, should that be a core value of revitalizing uh, different cultural pieces that have kind of been stamped out, revitalizing languages, especially that are uh, kind of on the, in this position of life support, specifically to help bring about that vision of Revelation 7 of people worshiping from every tongue tribe and language that, uh, you know, revitalizing these languages so that Jesus can be praised in them. Um, yeah, that's just something that I, I it's like, it's a curious thought yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for sure. Mm-hmm. I love the story that you shared in your sermon and you even touched on it today with your sermon recap about how the early Christians used to rescue the babies that were thrown outside of the city walls and how that was just an example of how they were engaging yeah. and just showing the love of Christ. Um, what are some practical ways that you have found helpful to engage here in the city? And especially you are a father of two, one on the way. Yes. So even practical ways that you've been able to demonstrate that to your kids and help encourage them That's a good in that question. way. That is a good question. Yeah. And I think it's something that um, still like still growing in. Um, but I would say there's, there's almost like in framing it, there's kind of two different ways. And one is stepping into things directly, um, which a couple examples of that are one would be adoption itself. Um, another one would be foster care, which is where you're caring for kids who are, uh, kind of have been 
they're under the care of the state at that time. And so kids will get placed with different families while the state works to reunite them with their family. And uh, I think that can be a, a wonderful way to help as well. And then another one is safe families, which is sort of like a, a prior step before foster care in the hopes that when a family's in crisis, that if you're serving with safe families, you can serve um, by taking in that child for a short period of time in the hopes that they wouldn't end up going into the foster care system. And they could just mm -hmm. be that that little bit of time will help the family to get back on their feet and the child can go uh, back to the family without ever having to enter the foster mm -hmm. care system. So I think those are all fantastic ways, especially here in Chicago. Um, but then the other thing is, um, you know, if you're not stepping in directly, mm -hmm. I think, I know there's a lot of people in our churches or well, in our church in different locations that that are stepping in directly, that have foster kids that have adopted. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it's not an easy thing to be stepping in in that way. I think it, um, you know, I think there's an element of spiritual warfare that comes along with it. There's just the stress yeah. of having another child. Sometimes a child where you don't know what they've been through, um, yeah. that they'll respond to certain things in certain ways and you don't know their you don't know their background, you don't know their history, um, but you're just trying to love and care for this child. And I think it can put a lot of stress on families. And so how can we come alongside those people who are stepping in directly, our friends, and how can we help them and support them in this, both in prayer and, uh, you know, and just helping out in whatever way that we can. Um, I think those are all great ways to step in. Well, Trevor, thanks so much. It was great to have you, especially on this side of the table. Yeah, it's great being here. Thanks for joining us this week for the Pastor's Cut. We hope you'll join us again next week as we continue our study further into Romans chapter 8.